What did the elevated norepinephrine levels suggest? Aggressive, even violent tendencies. Why didn't you report this immediately after your examination, doctor? These readings are not significantly different from those of the other Maquis crewmen. Obviously, it takes a certain personality type to be attracted to the life of an outlaw. Don't you believe his confession, Tuvok? In fact, I do. Nevertheless, my job is not finished until I determine a motive. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. And this week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 16, Meld. Not only that, we are joining together. Yes. Like a rich fondue with some with our good friend, Poey. I'm just fondue. That's what you're going with? Hey, man, it melds, it melts. What do you want from me? Meld and melt are not the same thing. Yeah, I know, I know. I'm just here to get naked and, and dance in the grease, really. That's, that's what I'm here to do. Nice. <laughs> here, to, here to get naked, dance in the grease, and do this. Nuts. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll, we'll cut that down. <laughs> <laughs> and Poey brought his soundboard. Yeah, that that was the only one. I just had to throw that in because of uh, okay, uh, a okay. special guest star in this episode. It seemed, yeah. it seemed germane. Listeners may know Poey and his soundboard from Into the Wormhole, a Deep Space Nine podcast. Yeah, we're uh, Deep Space Nine. Tr- usually, we're taking a break right now, or we're doing Star Trek Discovery. Mm. Um, but we're almost done. We'll be back to uh, Deep Space Nine really soon. I, I just, I just really wanted to make Vince because uh, he's our Star Trek newbie. He's never seen Star Trek, so we make him watch it. And uh, I just wanted him to watch Discovery because it's about to hit season two, and he hadn't seen it, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. So I think it, yeah, thought it'd be good to, uh, to move over, but. I wanted to talk about uh, Voyager with y'all, because you are, to me, the premier, the Voyager podcast. Thank you. I know there's other ones, but you are the Voyager podcast, yeah. And uh, Meld is one of my favorite Voyager episodes. Um, yeah, I like a lot of things that it does. I have a couple complaints, but I think for the most part, it's, it's really enjoyable. Uh, is one of your complaints that the B story doesn't seem to be in any way related to the A story? B stands for betting pool. <laughs> Oh, the, the Tom Paris, uh, uh, Ferris yes. Bueller's, th- the whole thing. Yeah, that's, um, I, you know, I like it, uh, in the sense that, like, I like that the early seasons of Voyager tried to do, like, these long multi episode arcs, even if they're minor things. I like that they tried to make that attempt. Uh, so that, it's cool for that, but yeah, otherwise, it's just kind of, it's typical Star Trek B plot. It's not, it, it makes no sense, has no connection to anything, and it's, uh, it's whatever. So. It will kind of have a connection to something in the future. Oh, yeah, definitely. They, they pay it off well, I think. And that's, that's, that's why I think it works. I think this is actually the first episode to set something up that we won't talk about until we get to it. Do you? Thank um, you. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I'll try to keep, I'll try to keep, uh, the, I was going to say, I'll keep the later episode spoilers down to a minimum, but, um, I mean, we, we do some, but we try in general not to do too much. Yeah, yeah. We, we we try to abide by the temporal prime directive here. Well, yeah, you don't want to get no- a knock on your door from from those a holes. Yeah, telling you not to mess with the timeline. But you know, to quote Janeway, it's less of a headache if you just ignore it. <laughs> and she's right. She she's the only one that gets it, man. Because Kirk's just messing around in there. Cisco's kind of like whatever. And Archer, he's got a whole thing. With, with <laughs> the, oh my goodness! The, I've been with the temporal goodness. I've been rewatching some uh, some Enterprise season three. I was going to 
So, I mean, obviously last week we were talking about Threshold. Oh, man. That's a classic. Afterwards, I was going to watch, like, season, episode three or episode four of season three, which is the one where uh, Archer, Reed, and Hoshi get, like, this weird alien Extinction. virus. Extinction. Yeah, that turns them into, like, frog people or whatever. I'm like, no, 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 this is way too close to what I just got done talking about for an hour. <laughs> I'm just going to turn this off and walk away from Enterprise for a while. Somebody really <laughs> wanted to make that subplot work. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't even looked, but that was probably also a Brandon Braga episode. Uh <laughs> Oh well, <laughs> yeah, we we just did a whole um we just did a whole thing on him. Yeah, you did. I really enjoyed that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I didn't know how it was going to turn out because uh, I, I uh, I've been a harsh critic of him, and you know I kind of came a little more neutral on him. But he has a lot of weird, weirder, you know, sci-fi esque, uh, wacky episodes, and yeah, that definitely sounds like one of them for sure. Yeah, I try not to be hard on. Actually, so I just looked it up. Extinction was not written by Brandon Braga, but mm. I try not to be hard on Brandon Braga because the guy is hard enough on himself. Oh, especially now. Yeah, that's one thing I learned. Like just doing a lot more research on him, he's like really come to like uh, take himself to task, and I think it's not really deserved. No, um, like because if you watch, yeah, any interview that he's done in the past ten years. Yeah, he just talks about how basically any problem that was star- in Star Trek was his fault. And just, yeah, and that's yeah, not true. It really isn't. But anyway, before we get way too in the weeds on Brandon Braca and <laughs> writing credits, let's at least you know mention the synopsis from TV Guide, which is my okay. favorite part of every episode. I don't. That's all I'm here for is just to read the synopsis, folks, and then I just sort of tag along and stay on the recording. It's the three R's of TV Guide: reading TV Guide, writing TV Guide, and renewing ticking. ticking TV Guide. <laughs> when Tuvok uses a Vulcan mind meld on a suspect in a murder investigation, the man's psychotic behavior becomes imprinted on Tuvok. That's fair. That's fair. I don't have anything negative on that one. No, that's much better than the Memory Alpha synopsis. Oh, those are always terrible. They're so bad. Those are the Netflix ones. This one is... Tuvok is plagued by the senselessness of a murder aboard Voyager. That's all I, it is. Yeah, that's... It's not... I mean, that's not wrong, but, like, you gotta... You gotta dangle... You gotta, you gotta jiggle their, their... Their... Their fellas a little bit, you know? You gotta... You gotta tantalize them. That's not enough. <laughs> Memory... Memory Alpha is usually a little better than that. This one's especially egregious. Now, when you guys say TV Guide, are you pulling it from TVGuide.com, or do you have, like, an old TV Guide, and you're reading it? Because that would be awesome. I, I doubt it, because that's probably hard to do, but... I choose um, to believe Stuart has a chest full of TV Guides. <laughs> the whole collection. <laughs> I can neither confirm nor deny the existence of old yellow TV Guides sitting in my living room. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, in my, my mind's eye, they are old actual TV Guides. That, that I want this to be pure, and that's, that's what I'm... <laughs> That's the reality I'm accepting. I write all my notes on paper, so I guess that would be kind of like fitting for me if I like was like thumbing through old TV guys from ninety from like from the nineties and early two thousands to get our synopses for our shows. I mean, you got to get those collectible covers, man. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's true. Yeah. So this episode originally aired on the fifth of February, nineteen ninety six, just days before my tenth birthday. Wow. Did you uh, watch it live? I did not. I don't. I didn't come to Voyager until God. How like like in like my my early twenties, right? That like that's how old I was. Like I I damn y'all y'all are young. 
I, I trust Thad's memory like way better than no, my own. Uh, uh, we watched it in the early 20s. Uh, we watched a bunch of it in our early 20s, but you had seen it before because you were always saying you had seen every episode. Yeah. Well, like, UPN reruns and whatnot. And so, and, and I thought I had seen every episode. And then, like, when you and I actually, like, sat down and, like, watched through the whole thing, I realized, oh, no, oops, I was lying. Um, I had not yet seen every episode. But, I, but you watched it, like, what? The UPN reruns were when we were in middle school and high school, when they had it on every, like, evening and afternoon? Sure, no, but I, I, I wasn't watching it as it aired, is, is the larger point. I did watch this episode when it aired. I was, I was, I'm a month younger than Stuart, so I was only nine, but I did watch it. Well, I wasn't ten yet. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You hadn't melded to ten years old yet, and then you became Correct, 10. yeah. <laughs> I don't remember anything about turning ten. Like, I, there are, like, basically, like, two birthdays that stick out of my head as, like, major big deals. Like, one was when I turned um, seven, because I got like super rad rollerblades and like a street hockey stick and everything and then almost everyone from my class came over and we turned my entire basement into this like party room it was amazing uh and then uh, my uh what my 30th birthday when a bunch of my friends came in out of town from like boston and dc and all over and surprised me that was my 30th birthday right that's a good that's a good good birthday yeah yes that was your 30th birthday thank you I don't know. I'm old. Time that's is why, weird. That's why we did it to surprise you for the thirtieth birthday. Oh yeah, you guys aren't. Yeah, for some reason, <laughs> like when you said ten, when you said ten when this aired, I was thinking that's all. Uh, that's like you're young, but I was only twelve. I'm not that much older. It's just I just I didn't realize how uh, long ago ninety six was, and now I feel <laughs> old. So yeah, um, Dad and I are thirty two. Yeah. So yeah, you guys are just you're just just below me. I'm thirty four. I think. Yeah, I was going to say, because, like, the anecdotes <laughs> that you tell about your childhood are totally match up to the anecdotes that I can think of from mine, so... Yeah, we're all the same age. Yeah. Yeah. We're all we're all one foot in the grave, basically, is, is everyone <laughs> um, I do remember watching this this when it aired, because is the only one I've seen in its entirety as it aired. Uh, and this one I remember specifically, because I was... I, uh, I remember in the credits, it said Brad Dorf. I was watching my dad, and he's like, oh, that's the guy that plays Chucky. Uh, hence the sound clip earlier. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he's uh, he's he's good old Chucky, and he usually plays a creepy murderer in in whatever he's in. Um, worm tongue. Oh yeah, he is worm tongue, isn't he? he? Is worm tongue? Yeah. Also a creepy murderer. Yeah, he's got that like uh, he's like the he's like the proto Andy Circus. Like before you had Andy Circus, you you got him um, without without the range. Oh, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. That that's that's an angle I hadn't considered, but I'm I'm fully on board. Yeah, yeah. Andy Circus, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, he was like the threshold Andy Circus when he wanted to, be, you know, he wanted to be the creature that would uh, uh, mate with another um, alien bug lizard thing. And let's move on for threshold. <laughs> yes, we're trying. <laughs> so. So that who uh, who directed this episode? It's directed by Cliff Bull, a uh, veteran Star Trek director. Uh, the story was by Michael Sussman, who's a name we haven't heard of before, but we'll hear him again because he did he contributed to eleven Voyager episodes and twenty two episodes of Enterprise, and he was also oh, wow. a, an executive story editor for the first season of Enterprise. Uh, uh, and then the teleplay was written by our good friend Michael Piller. 
Yeah, this is one of his, uh, Michael Pillar's, I think, uh, I I feel like last really strong Voyager episodes, like when he was kind of on his way out, because I think he left in season three. I believe so, yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Michael Pillar's, yeah, I mean, his, his last hurrah would, would be basics one and two. Yeah, that's, mm. It's it's kind of he he this I, I like to think this was a little better way for him to go out but uh, basics was oh no no basic no I'm sorry I I, I, I could basics say. is actually no I was thinking of uh what's the season one ender where Tuvok it's like Learning the curve? Uh, yeah I was thinking of that uh, I mean no basics is great I love basics uh, yeah I was confusing it with Learning and curve. it has Learning curve is it like, has whatever Brad Dorf in it again yeah he's good he's good in that one um. And I was reading, uh, I found an interview with Tim Russ from timrusstribute.com. Uh, they pulled this from Star Trek Monthly 94, and he was talking about um, post-Voyager experience, and, like, they had asked him, what uh, what did you, you know, think about your character? Is there anything you wanted to do with Tuvok and you never got a chance to? And he specifically cites this episode as being a, a kind of a missed opportunity because he wanted them to explore more of his uh, exploration of violence, and he never really got to explore that again in, in the series. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah. Uh, so, I have more complaints about Rank Insignia. Well, okay, you know what? Before you get started with that, <laughs> let's at least start the episode. All right. Now that we're, like, a good ten minutes into talking about... This is my fault, I'm sorry. <laughs> I've derailed no, you right. guys, I'm so sorry. We don't need any help getting derailed. <laughs> Speaking of derailing, let's talk about trains for about 30 or 40 minutes. <laughs> no, so, no, no, no. Last week, we talked about a train wreck. Not this week. Oh, it only wrecked at the end. Well, every train doesn't wreck until the end. <laughs> I mean, it's got to stop somewhere. It's not the fall that kills you, it's the stop at the end. Yeah. <laughs> so... So this open uh, this uh, this episode opens in Shayshan Sandrine. Oh yes. Tom and Harry are playing pool. Harry has just won, and Tom is offering to make things interesting. And a little bit of back and forth goes where Harry convinces himself that he really is super good at pool and he could totally win this wager. When Tom has the bright idea, which may have been his idea for, like from the get go, I'm thinking it was his idea. Oh, for sure. Yeah, he he was hustling him for sure. Well, no, no, not not the hustling thing, but then to like transition the conversation from you know what, rather than hustle you, how about I start? Oh, right, right, right. A gambling pool on the radiogenic particle count at twelve hundred hours each day. Yeah, he knew what he was getting into there. This was planned. Yeah. So, without being too revealing about things to come, yes, he was definitely planning this whole thing out. Yeah, this oh, okay. was part of a large part part of a larger thing for sure. Oh, okay, uh, I think what's interesting to me about him starting the the betting pool and then his later um, like confrontation with Chakotay over it is that the very last episode ended with him saying, "I guess I have a lot of growing up to do before I can live up to everyone's expectations of me." And then, boom! It's like you know what I'll do. I'll start taking everyone's replicator rations. All right. All right. So I keep saying I don't want to reveal things to come, but I, I'm sorry. I've got it. We've got to talk about it. This is the start of 
the Tom Paris becoming discontented with Voyager arc that will reach a culmination later in the season. I mean, that's all you have to say. And that's, you know, that's enough information to yeah. wet people's appetites. You mm-hmm. didn't yeah. give anything away. You did good. It's a cool, it's, I, I like it uh, as a concept because I like, part of the reason I picked this episode is because I like when Voyager, my favorite Voyager plots are the ones that take advantage of their situation, the Del- Delta Quadrant, to make whatever the problem is unique to them only. Because like mm-hmm. all of these, all these problems wouldn't be a big deal if they're back in the Alpha Quadrant. So like you know, Tom starting a gambling ring, and you know, they're having a murder on board. Like these are all amplified by their isolation. So yes. uh, the fact that they create a, a subplot that you know lasts multiple episodes is exactly what the show is designed to do. So I like that. That's something they take advantage of. Like yeah, they are. They're to me they're more stationary than DS Nine because they are actually all stuck in one box and they're moving, but. It's the same people every day, in, in and out. So, like, yeah, this kind of stuff is makes perfect sense. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, DS Nine at least has people coming in and out. They have a constant comlink back to Starfleet. And if Voyager was in the Alpha Quadrant, Tom Pears would not have been on board after they yeah, completed, that's true. After they completed their mission in the Badlands, like he yep. would have gotten. This would have been like, oh yeah. The, he would have gotten like his reduced sentence. Like maybe he would have been like released from his present colony or whatever it was and let back into the general population but he wouldn't still be on board the ship did um has, has the episode come up yet where harry uh has a twilight zone experience and he's yes and that yep. was non sequitur yep, yep, yep. that was earlier okay this season. so that's a, i was actually got a comment yes we know tom paris would have been out of prison at least by this point yeah he would have just been like you know basically doing what he's doing here only trunker <laughs> but he uh I actually wonder, I guess we'll get to it, um, but like, I have questions about why he's the one that gets uh, the guff from Chakotay, because I feel like he's not really doing anything wrong, unless unless the implication is that he's rigging this entirely, and that no one can ever win, but like, they're all, you know, just as guilty for participating in it. Yeah, I didn't necessarily have a problem with the, with the betting pool. I think it's the fact that he's getting this, he's skimming off the top, that's the part well, of it's it. The- it's that he's skimming off the top, and he's like a senior bridge member. Yeah, right. He should. He should. He's not Quark. He should know better. Yeah, like if he was like just some like just some crew member, basically like anyone other than Harry or Tom. If it had just been like a crew member who decided to start this betting pool, it right. probably would have like Chakotay probably would have allowed it to run longer or indefinitely. Like yeah. heck, even if like Neelix had started the thing. See, I feel like yeah, if Delix did it, it'd be fine. It'd be like a morale booster, and uh, you know. But he does it, and it's it's seedy. But Neelix wouldn't have skimmed off the top either, right? Neelix probably would have like sort of skimmed off the top in the sense that he's like he would say he was taking it as like a, a as like the handling fee or whatever. But then it would if a winner had ever come up, he maybe would have been like, and the six rations that have been accumulating as the handling fee go to the second closest person uh, or yeah, he would have right. put them all together and made a big feast for everybody uh, right exactly yeah. and, and, and so nobody wants to eat it would just be like, just like the <laughs> lunch table mush it would, it would be it would be all leola root based <laughs> <laughs> there would be seven uh, layers of jabalian leola root stew or something oh gross uh 
So I, I think it's the combination of him skimming off the top, which maybe Chakotay would have like turned a blind eye to longer, and he's a senior bridge officer. Okay, that's that makes sense. Uh, my other question about uh, Neelix, because uh, it comes up pretty soon. Did he appoint himself morale officer, or was that yes. something that Janeway gave him? So yeah, basically, like it, like in his initial thing, like in the very first episode or so with Janeway, he was like, "I can be morale officer," and Janeway's uh, like, "Yeah, yeah okay, fine, remember. whatever." It <laughs> sounds like something he would do. I'll just give myself a job. That way, I'll be useful. Yes, right. basically, I'll be your guide, your cook, and your morale officer, and all the things that the, the ship needs. Apparently, yes. So speaking of things that the ship needs, we cut to the engine room, because that's something that it does need, and, unlike Chase yes. Entry. And here comes my rank-sticking point. Okay, well first we're going to talk about that there is some kind of a problem with Condo at 141. Literally the first word uttered when we cut to engineering is Ensign. And he's not wearing Ensign pips? Two weeks ago he was a crewman. So did he get promoted? And Oh, 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 Hogan. Okay. <laughs> And he's still wearing the same black line inside his McKee provisional rank that I, I said shouldn't be crewman because it should be a non-commissioned officer, but it also shouldn't be ensign because an ensign would be a yellow line. Hmm. I wonder if it, maybe it was a field commission because maybe someone died off camera and they promoted him in a hurry, but it's not official until they go, they haven't gone through the ceremony yet. Okay. Uh, but also I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> That that it that is a thing in the navy. Lon Suter is wearing the same provisional rank pin with one lo- black line in it, which would typically you would think mean non commissioned officer. He's referred to as a crewman multiple times, except at the end of the episode when one when he's referred to as a crewman, and then less than a minute later you hear Janeway entering her captain's log and he's referred to as an ensign. Maybe a uh, crewman is like a uh, uh, kind of. Uh colloquial like when they're you know maybe that they're ensign they're not always ensign sometimes they can also be crewmen uh they're just sort of generic you know whatever sometimes like so you they, mean it's like they, saying soldier or sailor yeah or marine yeah th- that's basically the same point that i was going to make but i will throw in once an ensign always an ensign <laughs> yeah. especially if as you're ex- harry kim yeah. as exemplified best by harry kim but it's also I, okay so that I would accept that, except for the fact that it's crewman, which would be a, which we assume is just the unranked person at the bottom. You don't call, in the Navy, you don't call anyone who isn't a seaman a seaman. You can say they're all sailors, but you only call, but a seaman is a seaman. Okay, but anytime anybody is being held off the ship, there's going to be a line by Janeway or Chakotay to say, you need to release our crewmen. That's okay. a fair point, yeah. Okay, but they they also use it in a way that sounds like, like they're saying it's a rank. Like, when you say crewman Hogan or crewman Suter, it doesn't sound that way. Well, think like airmen in the Air Force. Like, every time someone gets referred to as an airman on Stargate... It, they're not necessarily just an airman. Yeah, well, they're supposed to be. No, um, I know they're better at the, They're better at this than 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 Star Trek is. But it's it's like 
According to the wiki, I don't know how, uh, you know, this is always, uh, tenuous and best if it's like, you know, official or how, you know, but it, they, they kind of split the difference and say that it's, it is a rank. There's a rank of crewman, but it is also often used as a generic term to anybody on the crew, uh, which, so may, maybe it's more that, uh, Suter was an ensign. It's just that he, it's, he's, he's listed as a crewman, uh, on his wiki page, but, um, Maybe he was an ensign who just um, was more often or not referred to. But you, you never, call, they never use it to refer to anyone other than these apparent ensigns, maybe ensigns. Like, right. When there's Except a, when they're being held off the ship. But they're never actually, but at that point, they're never saying crewman X. They're saying, yeah, they're, they're referring they're to him as a crewman. That's, that's not yeah. the same thing. For instance, we never hear Ensign Wildman called Crewman Wildman. That's true. Hmm. Or Harry Harry is never called Crewman Kim. That's true. Um, on Star Trek.com also, it, 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 they just list him as Ensign. He's Ensign Lawn Suter, so, uh. But regardless, whether they're Ensign, whether Hogan and Suter are Ensigns or Crewmen, or maybe one's an Ensign and one's a Crewman, and we just have weird things that we're calling them, the rank that they're wearing isn't for an ensign or a <laughs> That's true, he's a non-com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they did I guess I I never really pay attention to the the ranking, the, the pips and stuff. I I, I just right? something I, I never noticed. So I wonder if Maybe there was an attempt, like visually, from the the costuming department or whoever, to initially uh, separate the Maki officers. Um, yeah, well, they have and- the Maki have completely separate insignia. They have the provisional rank pins, which are basically lozenges that have lines in them instead of the pips. Hmm. I never noticed that. I'll have to go back and look for that more. Um, well, I mean, look at look at uh, look at Chakotay's collar. He's got the. The oh, lozenge thing instead of the little dots. Never, yeah. Wow, I yeah. never like so, notice that. So yeah, you need to get and, on a you you need to get on Thad's level and watch on a gigantic screen. <laughs> there is for that real. Too. Wow, I see. Wow, I never noticed this. this is... Yeah, no, I know. I wouldn't notice half of these things if I wasn't watching it on the projector screen. Uh, but anyway, yeah, they they have it's the mock, it's the provisional officer rank, which I've complained about because they shouldn't have this whole separate but equal thing. But anyway. It's the provisional officer rank, and for Chakotay, for instance, has two yellow lines and one, or two gold lines and one black one, indicating a rank of lieutenant commander. Yeah, so I guess they just... So a black line would be the equivalent of a black pip, like O'Brien, and it would (laughs) indicate a non-commissioned officer, but anyway. So, (laughs) obviously what happened here, I realize what it is, Janeway clearly was going to promote him to Ensign, and she was a slip of the tongue... And, uh, but, you know, the fact that he was a murderer, it made her rethink it, but she couldn't help but make that mistake because of her, uh, she just had, she wanted to make him handsome. He was very capable. That, there we go. She likes Brad Dorif. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? <laughs> so we're in the mess hall. Uh, what? We are. We're done with engineering because if we keep talking about engineering and we didn't basically talk about like, what happened in engineering. Nothing happened in engineering. There were like regular, ordinary engineering problems. Okay, 
That's true. Well, they were setting up how we're going to... We're in... We had ordinary engineering problems. If we keep talking about engineering, you're going to spend another 15 minutes talking about stupid No, I'm done talking about rank for this episode. No, you're not. Don't lie. For this episode. I still don't believe you. So we're in the mess (laughs) hall. Tuvok is trying to just have nice, quiet time alone with him and his pad. Neelix spots him, like, pats his chin a little bit, which was weird, and goes over in order to try to convince Tuvok to smile. This will be important later. I choose to believe that Tuvok has holographic fantasies of killing Neelix long before he had a mind meld with Suter. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? <laughs> That's the most popular program on the ship. Yeah. <laughs> that was Janeway's program. It wasn't even his. <laughs> the only other point I would want to make out of all of this is when... Neelix mentions that it's uh, Cal Rock season, and Tuvok says there is no season for Cal Rock. And the reason why this, you know, rings a bell for me is that when this episode drops, we'll be one week into Love Actually season. Ooh, that's true. <laughs> it's all around us. And so the feeling grows. I feel it in my fingers. I feel it in my toes. <laughs> If you really love Christmas, come on and let it snow. So, <laughs> while we're in the mess hall is when Tuvok gets paged down to engineering by Bolana, and this is when we find the dead body. Passive voice. Crewman Darwin. I don't, I don't, you know, me no speak English good. Apparently. <laughs> Have we, we haven't seen him before. This is his first, no. he's like one of the... Crewman the Darwin shirts. was a one and done. <laughs> Yeah, that that's one thing that um, I, I, it's not a complaint, but it's one thing that would have bums me out a little. I feel like because Voyager has a lot of consistent background actors and characters, I feel like there would have been an opportunity to kill one of them off so that we like remember, oh, that guy in the background. Like if you're you know a diligent viewer, you would have noticed it does happen. Yeah, what's oh there are some yeah you're right there are some people that die soon because we lost um we lost in season one. They introduced a guy. We we kind of felt like he was an important recurring character because the camera focused on him a couple times, oh, and then yeah. he dies in the next episode. I've forgotten his name. Uh, <laughs> Durst, Durst. That was his name. If it had been um, like Hogan, yeah, Hogan. Well, oh yeah, he, Hogan's Hogan been around. Yeah. Has a Hogan has a, a death coming up. Okay, you know, no spoilers. Jeez, we already talked about it last week. Doesn't matter. So anyway, so we find this dead body. And we cut to uh, we cut we cut to sit, sick bay with Tuvok and the doctor discussing the death. And Tuvok's like, "Well, clearly he was working on the conduit. He tripped. He fell. He lived up to his namesake, and he died as Darwin who wanted him to." Yeah, that's got to be the pun, right? That's the, the right. Being cheeky. Uh, and the doctor points out a perfectly good theory. Unfortunately, it's wrong. I'm sorry to report, Crewman Darwin was murdered. I analyzed the coup contra coup damage to his skull. Which is a real thing. It is a real thing. So, I'm not a doctor, and unlike Robert Picardo, I do not play one on TV. <laughs> but based on my very brief researching of coup contra coup, I don't think it entirely means what the doctor tells us it means. Mm. It's a thing of... So, apparently, like with coup contra coup, it's a thing where... I mean, as Newton tells us, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. So if you get hit hard on the front of your head, since the brain is like suspended inside your skull, it is also going to rebound off the back 
of your of your skull. So the coup is the impact, and the contra coup is where it hits on the other side of your skull. Mm-hmm. Being able to say like because of coup contra coup, I can tell if this was something impacting the head or the head impacting something. That I'm not sure about. He could be right. I'm sure they consulted with at least one doc, like actual real doctor, when they double checked this script. I mean, it's, they weren't like just winging it. The very least, it was somebody who wrote for Law and Order. They they called up one of their other NBC Yeah, no, guys. of course. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, that makes sense, guys. Yeah, it's a very Law and Order style uh, um, uh, murder answer. Like, oh no, well this uh, like fill in X medical term and then you know get it get approximate you know get as close as you can and it makes sense. Yeah, so I, I I'll give them the benefit of the doubt that the my brief cursory research on this was not complete because it was brief and cursory and I'm not a doctor. Uh, so we find about this and we learned that he was hit on the back of the head and then stuffed in the conduit. What a way to go. That's right. how I want to go out. Don't we all stuffed into an EPS conduit? Who doesn't? Yeah. Right? I mean, that's, that's, you know, like I, I went to an EPS conduit fantasy camp and that's pretty much what, what they do for you all month. They just hitch in the head, stuff you in there and then you wait a while and they take you out and they just keep doing it. It was great. That sounds like good times. Was it like, was it a one week program or two? Cause I feel like you don't get the full experience. That's two weeks. It was one week, but uh, it's, it's yeah, it's the second week was just too expensive. And honestly, it's gotten a bit too commercial for my taste. It used to be about the conduits, man, and now it's just... Uh, <laughs> I hate when that happens, you, you know? Trying to sell like, you the ad space and... Like, you, know, you, you try to keep an experience pure, and yeah. they, you know, they just go and commercialize it. But they put avocado on all the things, and just, like, there it goes. Like, avocado <laughs> conduits. <laughs> avocado Damn millennial... Millennial conduits. <laughs> <laughs> so now we're in uh, in Janeway's ready room. We have Chakotay, Tuvok, and Janeway, and then Belana joins us. And we find out that Lin Suter, Ensign, Crewman, Commander, Lon. I don't care what his rank is, Lon's him here. too, was the only other person on duty at that time. A, it feels weird they'd only have two people on duty at like any given time, the middle of the night, I guess. I don't care. It's got to be the night shift, yeah. Like four in the morning or something. What is night shift to the warp core? Like, well, the warp core likes the parties. Also, if it was the middle of the night, what was Lon Suter doing there during the apparent day shift? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. I guess. Uh, yeah, it's weird. There was only like three people there, so they they don't really specify when the shift was happening. So. Uh, maybe he was more premeditated than he, uh, originally, um, led them to believe. Um, cause yeah, otherwise, yeah, why else is he there? Yeah. I don't know. Actually, hold on. We can say what time it happened because Tuvok. Can we? Yes. Because yes. Tuvok confronts Suter with the time that he logged out of his station. It was 2214 was the time of death as recorded by the doctor. He logged out of his station at 2207. Okay, so yeah, that's the middle of the night. Well, not middle of the night; it's the beginning of the night. No, we know. Belanda just told us that it was like it was like the night shift or whatever. My thing is, why are there only two people on night shift in engineering around the warp core? Or like, how much babysitting does the warp core? It's the need? thing that makes all of their power. They're seventy thousand light years from home. If this thing hiccups. They need, like, people to fix it immediately. I feel like they should have, like, double shift, like, double crew on every shift all the time. They should have more than two people. All right? Let's just... They should have more than two people. 
It was the bathroom break. They all happened to be away. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, so <laughs> so we get a little bit of a backstory on Lon Suter from Chakotay and Pagana. Um, nothing from Tuvok, because although he was on board Chakotay's ship at the time that Lon, like the same time as Lon Suter, they never got into any of like the rough and tumble with the Cardassians and never saw Suter's bloodlust. Yeah. At the same time. And what we get from Chakotay and Pagana is that he is like a cold individual. He just loves killing. He's Crombopolis Suter, basically, is what it boils down to. <laughs> oh boy, here I go killing again. <laughs> Janeway tells Tuvok, well, clearly this is where your investigation needs to start, which when she says it, it feels like she's effectively saying, well, this guy sounds like a bad egg. You should start here. Yeah, I know. When in reality, Tuvok was already going to start with whoever else was in engineering at the time of Darwin's death. Exactly. Yeah, he was the most logical uh, suspect just because of his proximity to the whole thing. Yeah, and like, and since apparently it was only Lon Suter... That was going to be his his first su- his, his first suspect anyway. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, Janeway has Janeway doesn't like him. I feel like she doesn't even know who he is really outside of this this and like just the first time she's even like really hearing anything about him. Which I guess it makes sense. She's got 175 people on the ship, 158 so, or something like that. Oh, is that many? Yeah, I forget how many it is. It is. It's a. It, yeah, we we narrowed down the number last week, and we both promptly forgot it already. But it's like one forty, one fifty, something like that. It's one fifty something. They've been in the Delta Quadrant for a year and a half now. We think she should have like gotten some FaceTime with everyone on board at this point. Since it's not like she can get new crew members. It's true. Make make it a point to meet with everybody at least once, and just be like, "Hey, I mean, Captain, especially the Maquis people." Okay. So- oh yeah. By the end of Meld, it's 157. Okay, cool. <laughs> well, start off not, unintentionally no, no, funny. Not, not by the end. <laughs> by the beginning, really. <laughs> okay. Okay. Pri- in Threshold, it was 158, but in Meld, it's 157. Yes. Well, what would have 159 if the whole impregnate Blizzard Janeway thing had worked? Well, there were no, three no, of those they, babies, they had three. so that... <laughs> yeah, so it'd be yeah. 160, even. But they left those behind on the planet, so... Oh, you're yes. right. They, okay, they did work, so yeah, so... Which I'm fine with. So yeah, I think it was abandonment. I can't wait for that short trek. <laughs> <laughs> what are the lizards doing now? <laughs> oh, building a whole new, like, advanced human... Like, advanced civilization. I'm actually surprised there isn't a Star Trek novel about the Lizard Babies. I, you would think there would at least be a comic or something. Somebody would have done that, but I feel like maybe it's, they all just, we all just agreed, let's never talk about this again. <laughs> um, so yeah, they, uh, there's this great scene where, this episode's interesting in that it, it tries to do a lot of things where it tries to have like a discussion about, uh, euthanasia, or I guess not euthanasia, mm-hmm. but, uh, cap- capital punishment, I should say. Yeah. Um, it tries to answer the question about, uh, what do they do in this situation? Because they can't just lock them up, you know, for seven years. And uh, it gives Tuvok a kind of moral dilemma. Um, you know, t- we learn Sir Su- was the murderer. It's weird that it tries to, like, uh, swerve away from that for, like, an act. Where he's like, I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that was strange. I don't get why they did that at all. If, like, like he has his first sit-down with Suter, and Suter's like, nah, I totally didn't kill him. Like, I barely knew the guy. I was doing my job. He was doing his. I don't know why the computer said I logged in at 2207, and this guy died seven minutes later. I can't answer that. What do you want from me? In the very next scene, the doctor comes back and be like, I found foreign DNA. And it, like, the doctor doesn't tell us, but it's revealed 
a minute later, it's Suter's DNA, and it's like, what was even the point of Suter's denial? Yeah, I, I guess thinking from like a structure point, maybe they were trying to like uh, ramp up the tension of his just cold faced uh, lie. Like he was completely stone faced and just like he lied like so easily, so that when when you find out that he is the murderer and he's just quickly like no reason, it, it really tries to like ramp up how creepy he is and, and like how he's just seemingly without any sort of motive or remorse. So maybe that was like a way to build up to that tension. I don't know, but it is it does seem like a, a little bit of waste of time. Yeah, no, I, I feel like they could have done like the no remorse coldness thing if the scene had gone. You know, so tell me, Lieutenant. Are you interviewing me because I'm Maquis? Are you starting with all of us Maquis folk first, et cetera, et cetera, for a couple of lines? And then, like, well, you know, it's like, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I must ask you, did you kill him, Instant Suter? Yes, I did. Yeah, that would have been great. Yeah, that, I like that a lot. That would have been perfect. Cause, and then, then you get the act break after the no reason, you know, and then, you know, and then whatever commercial would have played. But yeah, it's, um, it, it is a weird, there's a weird bit of pacing to it. And then when they get to the second act, there's this weird, um, this might have been the first act, but the, uh, my other complaint about this episode is, um, so they, they, there's offhanded line when they're talking, when, uh, Chakotay and Janeway and Balana and Tuvok are talking about Suter. There's like this throwaway line that, oh, well, he's a Betazoid. It feels like initially, and I don't, I haven't been able to find anything from this, but like my conspiracy theory is that he would have been human. And, uh, they backed off of that because, you can't have a human in the Federation of Starfleet acting like this. Uh, so if you make him a Betazoid, it um, kind of absolves like humanity of the guilt or whatever. But I don't know. I feel like it would have been a little bit more interesting if it was like a, a an Earthling, like a person from Earth, uh, and it would have had a more of like a direct metaphor to like actual humanity. When the fact that he's a Betazoid, it I don't know. It robs a little bit uh, of it from me a little bit, just a little bit. So my problem with him being a Betazoid is that then. Chicote manages his cold eyes. It's like they're he's a betazoid. How can you tell? They're just solid black. Yeah. It's 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 and maybe that makes him creepier, but um like how Wait, I don't did, know. I, did well, Troy have solid black eyes? Yes, she did. I never noticed this. I don't think I noticed this either, actually. Well not like I mean the 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 she still has whites of the eyes, but her irises are black. Yeah, right. no, like, how did I never notice that she had like suitor esque irises? Sh- I'm looking at pictures. I never realized that. Getting my mind. No, I didn't notice when I first watched TNG on TV back in the day either. But that was because I was watching it on a 13-inch CRT. <laughs> yeah, it's harder to tell not in that way. Um, I guess that means uh, Major would have had him too. Luxana. Yeah, Luxana. Had, I think. Now I'm. She should have anyway. But, um, when they, uh, so, like, there's, they establish, like, he's cold and unfeeling, and, like, they're, they're setting up the metaphor that, okay, he's a sociopath, he's psychotic. So then when, um, Kess and the doctor examine him, he's seemingly not. Uh, it's just something that he has violent tendencies, he can't seem to control them, uh, and that he sort of was able to get a release from, you know, being a Maquis. Like, he was, he was able to get, like, get his impulses out, and here he's just kind of stifled, and he just can't do it. So, I like when they're talking about his, uh, they start to bring up the ethical dilemma. Like, well, they don't, you know, Federation doesn't execute people, so lucky for me. And it's, I don't know, it's like, I wonder, like, should they have executed him? You know, like, is there an actual argument to be made for, like, no. you know, 
this happening. And I don't, I don't believe in California at all. I don't think they should have, but like. <laughs> there is no argument to be made that is lo- logical for that. And it amazes me that Tuvok thinks that there could be. Well, he's very pragmatic as, as much as he is logical. And like, uh, I, I can't remember the sequence of events. Does he have these feelings about. He brings it up after the meld. So it's possible that he's being influenced at that point. But yeah. yeah. I mean, Janeway has the correct response to that. Yeah, like, doesn't matter, we can't do it. And I mean, I don't know, I guess, and that's what's weird. I think the episode, what it's trying to do is it's trying to make its position on capital punishment clear. It's not trying to have a moral dilemma about capital punishment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why they don't spend too much time on it. Uh, Though there is a Voyager episode later that I think does try to have this discussion. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but um, this one, it's more just like, no, we're not doing it, and move on, and like... Uh, Tuvok, when he brings up the, you know, the idea, and we get the sense that maybe he's influenced, I, I feel like there's also, in the same way that, uh, Suter is a Betazoid, so that he is kind of absolving humanity a little bit, so humanity doesn't have to be like, no, no, we're not like that. I wonder if, uh, they're also sort of absolving Tuvok as a main character, but you can't have a main character in Starfleet, you know, say he wants to execute people without being influenced by some external force. So, oh no, well he's 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 under the influence of uh Betazoid mind magic because of this meld <laughs> and because of Suter's craziness. So, he's not actually suggesting we kill him. He wouldn't do that in the normal circumstances. Like they're giving him an out as a character, which I don't know. I I can I can see what Tim Russ was saying about maybe it being a missed opportunity, but uh it's yeah, I don't it's kind of one of the episodes where like they have a lot of Tuvok goes nuts episodes and this is like the first one, I think. Yes. Well, I think it's the first like solid time that Tuvok is out of his mind. <laughs> it's like it's like, it's the O'Brien must suffer Voyager. Tuvok goes nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, uh, just to confirm, I am. I did a Google image search of Luxana Troy, and she definitely also has the black eyes. Okay. Oh wow! No, learn something every day. I never realized any of that. That's mind blowing. Yeah, and I never noticed it at all. So you hear that, cosplayers? If you're not wearing the contact lenses, you're failing. Oh, that's low. So, what do you guys think of this this mind meld thing? Like they as a device to kind of make Tuvok um, sort of lose his? Because I, I feel the implication is that like some of Suter's violent impulses infected Tuvok, or do you think that it's more about his impulses were already there and Suter just sort of brought them out? So we find out a little bit later in the episode that Vulcans have a specific region of their brain that I guess they've evolved because we we learn from numerous Vulcans through numerous shows that they have not always been as in control of their emotions as they are today. So apparently they have like like whatever region of the brain that is there for em- like emotional control they had over the centuries like it's double size or whatever like it, it, it's it's way bigger and way more in control but whether or not tuvok always had these like murder impulses in him no i i think that the the premise that the that the episode throws us which is that when they meld Suter got some of tuvok's emotional control it's almost as if i can observe the violence inside me without letting it get too close and tuvok got some of the murder impulses over and like Tuvok tells us as much. He says, we're going to do a mind meld. And the idea being that I will give you some self control. It won't last forever, but it'll like it. it it's a first step. You're going to give me some of your murderiness, but 
I'm highly evolved and super awesome, and I can totally keep it under control. Right. He's like kind of arrogant in that sense, and it gets him into trouble. Tuvok arrogant? No. Never. <laughs> I guess there's an interesting metaphor too. I never realized till you were t- till you were kind of illustrating it, but I guess it's also an interesting metaphor for like medication as a treatment rather than like you know punishment and like rehabilitation and like obviously it does the Star Trek thing where they 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 flip the metaphor and make it uh you know science fictiony, but uh they're. I never realized that was the maybe some of the intentionality there until you said that until you kind of uh, verbalized it. Yeah, but the like the murder impulses on Tuvok that was it was really interesting how Tim Russ played it. Oh yeah, like he's definitely in control for the first like while. I don't I don't know how much time is really passing. Um, no, let's call it a day. Um, but then, yeah, he, he goes into, he does this holodeck program, which you don't realize at first, where he's back on, he's back in the mess hall, trying to mind his own business <laughs> again. Neelix comes up and starts, like, getting all handsy and being like, I'm gonna make you smile. You don't have to, like, literally put my hands on your face and force it into a smile. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, uh, very frustrating to watch. So, yes. yeah. I think that, uh, he's, and it's, this is, really shocking like it, it, you know it's funny to joke and like yeah haha neelix eats you know neelix dies and haha it's kind of funny but it is really dark and disturbing this is probably one of the darkest things i feel like star trek has ever done up until this point like i, I feel like i've never seen tng do this kind of thing where he literally chokes him to death on screen and you watch yeah. neelix slowly die it is like uh it is yeah it's really dark well, Janeway programmed this to make Neelix extra annoying, to make it more satisfying when he dies. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, yeah, he's Suter- not annoying enough. you got to make him earn it, yeah. you know? Well, I mean, you know, Suter tells us that holographic murder is just not quite as pleasing as regular murder. Sort of like holographic wine. I still don't understand <laughs> yeah, how not. holographic wine is a thing at all, because you can't drink <laughs> force fields. Well, that's why holographic murder is not satisfying. <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't do the same kick as the real thing. <laughs> you know, as as the man said, I get no kick from champagne. <laughs> he gets a kick out of murdering you. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, I like the suggestion when they're kind of discussing after the fact. Uh, you know, Tuvok's talking about his violent impulses and how he's been, and uh, Suter's very much like. Yeah, it just doesn't work. I like the backstory. That's it's very Michael Pillar, and that like he describes something he's done in the past, and it gives the character a kind of backstory. Like you can imagine that he's, um, you know, tried to cure this, and so much so that like when he is offered, when Tuvok offers the meld, Suter is eager to take it. He Suter doesn't like being like this. He's just a sort of accept begrudgingly accepted it, and it's part of his personality. But like. He's redeemable in the sense that, like, he he knows that there's something wrong with him. He doesn't have empathy, and I think that's mm-hmm. also them leaning more into the uh, Betazoid thing, less than the human thing. Like, it's an it's an abnormality for a Betazoid to not have empathy. So, and he knows that's wrong, but he wants to not be like this. He wants the sense of control. He wants to stop it. So, like, when he brings that, when he has the option to take it to to get out of this and not just die, he it's interesting that he takes it. Well, he he does first like caution Tuvok before the melt. It's like, you may not like what happens from this. Yeah. He's aware that this could be a problem. Yeah. But this all does also throw back to uh, our conversation from a couple of weeks ago. Thad Suter may not be sentient. Ah, nice. Thank you. But I, 
I enjoy basically all the conversations between Suter and Tuvok. Like, minus the very, very first one where, like, yeah. he's like, no, I didn't kill him. And then three seconds later, yeah, no, I totally killed him. Why hide it anymore? It's like, you've been hiding yeah. it for 10 minutes. Like, what, what's the difference? Um, it's not like you got away for, like, three months. Yeah. Like, but all of Suter and Tuvok's conversations, uh, especially after the meld, when Suter is in, like, much more control and he's, like, way more aware of his internal processes and how they affect him and how clearly they're affecting Tuvog. Like all of that is just, is just pure gold. Yeah. And, he, uh, Brad Dorff plays the character with such a res- restrained intensity. Like, you know, he's guilty the second you see him on screen, oh, but yeah. like, you know, there's no mystery there, but you also, you can't help but root for him, even though he's like seemingly a violent killer. You just like, you just mesmerized by everything he does. Um, and the scene when he talks about the meld, uh, with Tuvok being a form of violence, I really like that this, that they're kind of taking a task, the idea of the mind meld, because I, th- I, you know, I could be wrong, but I feel like up until this point, it's always been this sort of like Star Trek mysticism thing where it's like, they're not, it's just like this problem solving device where, you know, we need to put someone's consciousness in, in a doctor or we need to, you know, tell it to communicate across time and space, but like, when he refers to it specifically as a form of violence, as a penetration, as a penetrative act, it is, it really reframes the, the, how kind of, you can think of like the backstory of Vulcans, how they evolved, like how this telepathic uh, thing might've originally been used by them when they were more violent, emotional species. And it's, it's, it's another good, like bit of like kind of Michael Pillar, uh, um, world building within just within the, you know, uh, details of the dialogue. Oh yeah. So, Procedural question, well, procedural may be the wrong word, but question <laughs> about uh, the scene where he, it, why hide it anymore, I confess. Tuvok says, I suggest you speak to counsel. Is there a JAG officer on board Voyager? Probably not, but I maybe there's like a provision where someone can act as one, kind of like in measure of a man. Like, we don't have one, so uh, Harry Kim, go ahead and represent him. <laughs> okay. Maybe there's an EJH. Nice. Wait, what was I missed that? What was that? <laughs> EJH, an emergency JAG hologram. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's just Robert Picardo, Robert Picardo in a wig. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> but but because of the hollow emitter thing, he can only be summoned in sick bay. <laughs> <laughs> all the all the court proceedings have to take place in sick bay. Yes. <laughs> nice. So you go there to get like you get you go there checked out for like a you got like a rash, but then you also have to pay a parking ticket. So right. I think it would be the ELH emergency legal hologram. Well, I was thinking uh, 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 emergency judicial hologram. Ooh, okay. Judicial but... system. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what so... is that? I did not get that reference at all. Sorry. Somebody. So I, I'm hoping somebody gets that, but. Uh... Could do you explain it? No. Oh, I, I, okay. So there's a Dana Carvey stand-up bit from like the '90s where he's talking about uh, the he's he's talking about the word judicial. Okay. And it's like it always, no matter how you, it always sounds like you're uh, um, you, there's something stuck in your throat. You can't say it, no matter who you are. It's a judicial system. It just always sounds like it's 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 not it's funny, but it, yeah. we can move on. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So Tubac goes crazy. Yeah, what do you guys think of Tim Tim Russ's uh yeah his 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 uh acting here? I love it. emotional Tuvok. Yes, it's good. 
We need emotional Last week Tuvok I said, more often. Yeah. Last week I said that dying Paris was best Paris. Emotional Tuvok <laughs> is best Tuvok. Mm. E.T. is the best Tuvok. <laughs> so who's the best Harry Kim? There is no best Harry Kim. That's why he's still an ensign. The, the oh. one from uh, the, uh, uh, the episode where the ship gets split into two and he gets sucked out the airlock. Oh, that's hard. No. <laughs> I, I like Harry Kim. He's fine. Hey, even in Harry Kim's Dreamscape episode, he wasn't the best Harry Kim. He was still an ensign. <laughs> oh, man. I, I do like uh, grizzled old uh, uh, timeless Harry Kim. He's fun. Mm. So, if you actually do the math, he'd be like 39 in that episode, so he should not have that much gray in his hair. <laughs> yeah, he did not age well. Maybe the stress of having damned all his friends to eternity of an icy grave mm. caused him to go gray sooner. I also, my also other complaint with that episode is that Voyager doesn't seem to land any harder than the Enterprise D does in Generations, and yet it kills all the crew. Yeah, I thought that was, uh, yeah, I remember watching it and at the time and thinking, like, how are they all dead? They seem like yeah. they'd be fine. And that's like a, you know, and, and now to get, like, a little further into the weeds. And that's like a weird thing, because, like, on the one hand, you have Enterprise D, which has the separated saucer section, which is designed to protect its inhabitants while the, like, the battle section went off and did its thing. So it kind of makes sense that the saucer would, like, be hardier, but... The flip side of that is that the Intrepid is designed to land on planets. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This should have been okay. Uh, yeah. Like, surely the 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 Starfleet engineers who designed the thing were like, you know what? At one point, the landing leg might fail, and they might like they might land hard. Maybe we should add some reinforcement to this well, thing. Well, those engineers didn't think they needed to put a landing leg under the saucer, so who knows? <laughs> How dumb would like the extra long spindly leg coming out the saucer look though? It would look dumb, but it would actually but it would be the only way that the ship could realistically stand upright on a planet. Have you ever seen cantilever buildings? Boom. Cantilever. It's like the uh it's way it's too like much work to put into something cantilever. <laughs> it's like the uh uh lifeboats on the Titanic. You could put them there, but it would like make the ship look ugly, so <laughs> the heck with it. <laughs> when they didn't think they'd be landing on an ice planet anyway, so right, yeah, yeah, no, I mean, no, no. ice planets don't exist. Emotional Tuvok is fun. Like he, uh, yeah, he's. Uh, I feel like this is the first time we get to we get to see this side of Tuvok, and uh, Tim Russ, he has a lot of fun with it. Um, like he goes from like just deadly serious to uh, uh, kind of wacky and intense, and like. Uh, talking like it'd be a great study on primal Vulcan rituals, you know. I yeah. Let me stay like this for that's that's a good line. Um, it's just really fun and like it's. I do think they undersell um, the. They try to create this like drama plot point with like uh, we don't know how long it'd be like this, and it turns out it's only a couple minutes. Um, yeah. But uh, <laughs> mainly because he breaks out and he tries to go kill Suter, and Suter's ready to die, and I like that he kind of reasons with him, like, yeah, I'm, I'll die, but are you ready to have killed me? It'll change everything about you. Um, and I guess yeah. I'm a little fuzzy on the, the mechanism of the his, I guess, inability to kill him, either because he, he couldn't or because he uh, just sort of, like, stopped. Well, I, I think it's because like the first round of the treatment was taking hold, and it was like, okay. and the doc, and the doctor says this later. It's like it may be hard for you to believe, Lieutenant, but what happened is encouraging. Oh yeah, you're right. 
like his like his his emotional like control center is like it has been reset and it's, it's starting to take back over. It's taking hold, yeah. And this means he's not going to play Cardassian Pinochle. <laughs> oh God, what a that was dumb. <laughs> yeah. Why is it just why is it just Pinochle? Why does it have to be Cardassian? Or why is it why can't it be some other? Because it's Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. So does that mean that the Cardassians invented a... They, they saw Earth Pinochle and were like, we gotta make our own version of it. Or did they already have a game that happened to be called Pinochle and with Cardassian rules? Well, maybe if they, had, like, they had a card game with their own rules and everything that as soon as a human saw it, there was like, hey, you know, my uncle used to play a game like this. I like that a lot. That's yeah. cool. I like that. that. Makes yeah, Because everybody's uncle plays Pinochle. It's true. It's true. Yeah, no one plays Pinochle, but their uncles do. Mm-hmm. It, nobody drives in New York. The traffic's terrible. Right. <laughs> uh, he, um, so when he has this kind of, I thought it was interesting too, like, so I guess they're chalking his actions up entirely to the suitor consciousness thing, but like, yeah, they kind of, they kind of let him off the hook for attempted murder. I feel like this would have been a great time to bump him from lieutenant commander to lieutenant. Yeah, maybe you know, because the, the they, I feel like he's at fault for the mind meld. As a you okay, you're just trolling me now because I said I was done this episode. No, no, like <laughs> it wasn't an intentional troll, but it was like, sort of like what I was thinking the entire time on the second watch through. After like after having got to the end the first time, around, I still think it should have happened in season one, uh, in Prime Factors. That'd be a great opportunity too. Fine, then bump him down to Lieutenant J G. Oh, like, only one level like, above Harry. <laughs> <laughs> he has to work as the ELH for a while. Yeah, but like, it, yeah, but it's not like like Tuvok has to worry about it. Harry's not going to get any higher, and Tuvok will be right back to Lieutenant <laughs> in no time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like what Tuvok did, like with like whether or not there's any sort of, if not like a standing regulation, then at least sort of like a like a like a handshake agreement between Vulcans and whoever the commanding officer is. Like, don't do mind melds willy nilly. That's just yeah. not cool. Yeah, because, it's from your captain, or right? No. Could, because Suter really does give voice to this feeling that I've had about mind melds, like from the like from the get go, which is that it is it's a form of violence. It's like it, it's a form of like mental assault. Like yeah. the other party really needs to be like fully willing and consenting, and doing it like without like the full knowledge of both parties. And I feel like your superior officer, like it's like. It it's a serious thing to do, just because it feels like. I mean, obviously, Tuvok is not impulsive per se, but it sure feels like he like walks away from Suter at the beginning, and then it, like about faces and comes back like, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna mind meld with you. Yeah, yeah. They really undersell. I think his his curiosity being the thing that drives him to do this. Because he cannot let it go, he cannot understand why somebody would just have violent impulse, and yeah. they kind of they kind of gloss over it to get to the Mel. But I feel like that's the more interesting character trait that he he cannot in all of his logic. All, he tries so hard to make a, a motive for this, and there just isn't one, and that drives him just just drives him batty. He cannot wrap his head around it, and like that they kind of like brush it aside to get to the mind meld so that he can kind of lose it, maybe in an effort to make him understand it, like. I wonder if you could maybe make the argument that he he didn't do the mind meld in order to uh, you know potentially cure him. He did it so that he could understand it because he just he needed to know that badly. And in his arrogance, he assumed he could fix it. 
that's kind of what it felt like to me because we saw him yeah. struggle with trying to figure out how and what what the motivation was so yeah no i feel like a big part of it a big part of tuvok's motivation was doing this so he could understand suitor's motivation yeah and he he should be held accountable for that they're just kind of like oh, i'm sorry i insulted you and i move on and like he he could have killed you know when he he, he could have killed suitor he you know what if what if the force field broke when they had him in sickbay he could have killed janeway the Kess. i mean like he really screwed the pooch here <laughs> Yeah, and like, and and he knocked out the MP that was guarding Suter, but he could have yeah, killed the MP. He, he could have, yeah. He's Vulcan. He's super strong. So I mean, he he doesn't get enough. Uh, it's it's interesting that Janeway just doesn't punish him at all. They don't know. They don't. They don't even really. She does tell him like, "Don't do this again without permission." But it's kind of just like a slap on the wrist. Like I, you know, he should be. A, yeah, he should have been punished for this. Yeah, it, it had it had this very, very real feeling of like, oh, don't worry about it. It's all water under the bridge. You weren't in your yeah. right mind. And it's like, yeah, but no. It, yeah. It's all mind under the meld. Nothing to worry about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I and I also the my other nitpick is like uh I do like that Suter becomes a reoccurring character, but I don't like the way it, it kind of wraps up with Suter will be confined to the quarters for the rest of the trip and Tuvok's making a recovery. Like it's just kind of like I don't know. They feel like they could have had more of a like the last scene should have been should have ended with Suter, I think, rather than Janeway and Tuvok. Well, it's 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 the mid to late nineties, and so we it was still very um, episodic. How oh TV yeah, for sure. Was made. Oh for like sure. In, yeah. Like in, I, I mean, a, as with so many episodes, this could have easily been a two or three episode long arc. Yes. Of like coming to terms with things, and like we could have had an entire episode spent on like just on investigating and like interrogating people. Yeah, and like the mystery, and like always like coming back to Suter, but him not giving it up. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, it is easy to like judge Voyager by modern standards and fault it, but uh, it's it you know it's 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 ninety Star Trek, so it's you know DS Nine does the same thing. It's very episodic for yeah. more of its run than it's not. You know, people like to like to mythologize DS Nine as being this you know completely serialized thing, but it's really not as serialized as uh, it is more so than other Trek in the nineties. But it's you know it's in Voyager though these first three seasons are pretty serialized for for yeah. Star Trek. I mean, they yes. have a lot of reoccurring bits, and like they really make an effort to like establish an internal continuity of like rations and and supplies, and like um, this is kind of more texture to that. So it's it's cool. I mean, I, these, these are all minor nitpicks. I, I really do, yeah. for the most part, enjoy that this episode does it, it. It does the thing that I think Tuvix failed Tuvix failed at, where it has an actual kind of moral dilemma, where it it, it kind of puts a character in a. Uh, one of our characters in a gr- they grow from it, they learn from it. It develops a, a background character in a way that's interesting that they sticks around for a bit, and it's yeah, it's all uh, it's all good. It's a, it's a great episode. Yeah, I yeah. I agree. This is definitely one of the best episodes of the season for sure. I uh, I enjoyed it a ton. Um, I, I thought that uh, Brad Dourif did like bleak, just played the hell out of that <laughs> character. Oh yeah, he makes that character like yeah. Oh man, and and, and the writing was 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 so on point, especially all of the conversations between Tuvok and and Suter. It just you know like the like the one line where it's you know like I can promise you this will not silence your demons. Like oh man, like this was so good. Yeah, he's still got it. He's still uh, you know even though. Uh, Suter is like a little relieved. He's still there. He's still struggling with this violence. And 
there was a good interview with Michael Piller where he was talking about the uh, a thing that they wanted to explore more, where like the backgrounds of the Maquis and this line that like nobody asked for resumes, like they were just people that signed up because they could get the job done and they weren't going to ask questions about why they wanted to do it. So this was a good chance to take advantage of that. Yeah, which is kind of fun. Um, and uh, I guess he also uh, consulted with a. Uh, Psychiatrist, uh, in like they had to look at the script and be like, you know, let's talk more about uh, capital punishment and like the psychology of violence. And he really did his homework to, to really, I, I think someone, I don't remember who said it was Thad or Stewart, but mentioned that he, they probably consulted someone. It looks like he did. So, you know, yeah, no, he know, definitely did. It, it feels, it feels very authentic in that sense. But yeah, all good stuff. The directing's really good too. Cliff Bowl, uh, it, it does a really good, um, uh, just he's good at making the tense scenes not cheesy. And then mm-hmm. sometimes they balancing act with Star Trek, but you know you really do. I mean, the Neelix thing I think is probably one of the it's it as as dark as it is. It's also very well directed because it is shocking, and they very rightly don't pull the camera off of Neelix during the whole thing. So you feel you're you're in that moment of like of just uh, intensity that Tuvok's having, and it's just like you don't want it to keep going, but it does. And then yeah, they give you the it's a holodeck. You know, he didn't actually kill Neelix, but. Uh, you kind of know, even in, you kind of even know, like he's not actually killing Neelix. You know it's a holodeck, but it you don't care. It almost makes it more creepy. When I was now uh, still alive. Okay, so as a nine-year-old watching this, I thought he had killed Neelix. Oh wow, yeah. I mean, they definitely want to trick you, you know, because you know, nine-year-old me wasn't quite as up on the nuances. Thirty-two-year-old. Sure, sure. Me. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, trick, but it's not like. Um, it's not uh, intentionally uh, deceiving the audience, like in a way that's like not earned. Yeah. Um. It, it you know it doesn't feel like a cheap trick or like a way to like you know cheat the audience out of something. But it's it's a good use of the lore to give us a good uh, you know act break. So I, I I don't know if this is your thing or whose deal is it to do the the bacon game, the six degrees game. Oh, that's Vince. Uh. I didn't, I didn't prep for that much for it. Oh, um, if you have one, Stuart, lay it on us. Yeah, if you have one, go nuts, yeah. Well, I, I was wondering, was like, especially in light of the fact that Brad Dorif was Wormtongue and like and the voice of Chucky and all, it has like 150 credits under his belt or something. Just an idea of like, if we could connect Brad Dorif back to Tim Russ outside of this episode. Mm. Okay, Brad Dorf was Wormtongue. Wormtongue was in Lord of the Rings with Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen was in X-Men with Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart was in Star Trek Generations with Tim Russ. There you go. See, that was like go. way easier than I was expecting boom. it to be. I boom, like, boom, had boom. forgotten all there about Ian go. McKellen. Yeah, I forgot all about Patrick Stewart, so... <laughs> oh. That's why you get the big bucks. All in all, a great episode. It sounds like, you know, it was, you know, thought-provoking got a good conversation out of it you know if if any of our listener listeners are worried that we're not going to have quite as rollicking a conversation next week all i have to say is dread not we will return and we will have plenty to talk about <laughs> what nice nice pun i like that so yes as Stuart points out next week is dread not <laughs> thank you for listening this week if you enjoyed this you should also check out our other podcast stargate weekly you can find a review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. I'm at Tyrannicus on Twitter. And I'm at Gamicus. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Poey, T-H-E-P-O-E-Y. 
If uh, anyone wants to listen to us, Into the Wormhole, we are a Star Trek podcast where we take a Star Trek newbie into the Gamma Quadrant and beyond. New episodes every single Wednesday. We also have a Patreon, patreon.com slash wormhole podcast. You can get early access to that show and exclusive access to our other show, Into the Wormhole Runabout, where we do deep dives into extended Star Trek topics like movies, comics, TV shows, all the, all the extra books, all the extra stuff. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah. Stopping. Oh, yeah, yeah. So thanks for having me on, guys. First of all, it was really fun. I, I like doing this. Uh, I, I definitely will probably try to reach out and hopefully do more Voyager episodes with you because there's... Absolutely. I, I do kind of... I dump on it a little bit sometimes on the show on, on Wormhole, but I do really enjoy it. I just, I'm just hard on it because it comes from a place of love. <laughs> Because we don't have conversations about uh, uh, pit insignias and stuff, so. <laughs> <laughs>